It's like I'm reading a book. It's a book I deeply love. But I'm reading it slowly now, so the words are really far apart, and the spaces between the words are almost infinite. But I could still feel you and the words of our story. But it's in this endless space between the words that I'm finding myself now. It's a place that's not of the physical world. It's where everything else is that I didn't even know existed. I love you so much, but this is where I am now. And this is who I am now. And I need you to let me go. As much as I want to, I can't live in your book now. I must embrace the void. Warning, this podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like they're people. Embrace the Void, where it is role reversal time. I am your noob for the week, Aaron, and with me is my expert in sound design, GW. How you doing, GWs? I'm sounding off. Yeah, man. We uh, had a, we had some questions about the process, and I think it's really important, um, despite being the artistic side of the quote-unquote artistic side of things, I, th- I think uh, within a lot of genres, we see an overemphasis on that side and an underemphasis on the technical side. So what we're going to do today is we're going to let GW, and I'm going to ask a bunch of questions, and he's going to talk through his process for putting together an episode. Um, And so that'll be uh, hopefully extra fun for everyone, especially our um, sound nerds, and hopefully some of our podcast listening friends who might have any questions. We'll get some of them potentially answered or can follow up with some things. I already can disagree with one of your premises there. Yeah, do all the things, right? I, that was that was a terrible intro. I'm already I'm no, so no. newbie today. Just go ahead. No, you're fine. Uh, no. Uh, you're pretty, too. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> no, so you started off by saying it was technical, and uh, I'm going to try to make the argument that it's actually all artistic. Right, and I agree with you, right? The, uh, the separation between technical and artistic is artificial, it seems like. Well, uh, this is actually something that happens in sound in a lot of different areas, mm-hmm. both sound design in theater, but also in film and, and almost in any other area of sound, where it is compared to, compared to like graphic design, I think it's a bit different, but compared to most other areas of art, uh, it is clear that it is artistic and oftentimes the technical is overlooked. And with sound, it, it is so heavily technical that it's hard for people to see that it's artistic. Uh-huh, that makes sense. Because Do you, you want to give like a it. basic example? Oh, absolutely. Uh, your assumption at the beginning that it was pure technical uh, and not artistic is, uh, I think, a clear example, right? Uh, another example is um, you, I often hear, oh, we just need a microphone. Mm-hmm. You know, the word just is like, I think, the worst word in the English language. Uh, but all the things artistically that go into which microphone you choose, which speakers you choose, where those speakers go, how it gets to the audience, the quality of that sound, all of those sort of things uh, factor into it, which is purely artistic. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and there was a, a huge 
debate for folks who aren't familiar with the theater world there was a big uproar about uh the tonys not having a uh sound design category they got it we got it back now right well uh we what happened was i actually assisted on the show that first one best sound for play uh, Mm -hmm. which was 39 steps Uh, i was a low-level assistant i didn't do a whole lot other than pushing papers uh but so we had it, and then three years later, they decided to get rid of it. And that's why it was a really big blow. Uh, but yes, it's this next coming Tony Awards, um, they have reintroduced it, and there are current nominees for that. Good. Yeah, that was a big a big nonsense when that happened. It was um, a big, yeah, it hurt. And, and it's totally indicative of that, that mindset. Like their, their justification was 100%. This is a purely technical sub blah blah blah. Therefore, well, ba- basically they said we don't know how to judge this properly because we don't understand this concept well enough. It seemed like that's what well, it felt like. Well, so you say they said, and they actually never came out with an official statement. There mm-hmm. were two people in the committee that anonymously spoke to journalists, and mm-hmm. they said that uh, the way the nomination process happens. This is like big tangent, but the way the nomination process happens is. They, people who are nominators see shows and they say, hey, I saw this show and I think the lights were really good. I think this person should be nominated for light. Then all of these submissions go in and then the actual committee, they then decide based on the nominations, which they think are the sort of top contenders. And then they vote on which one they think won. And the problem was, is not many people were nominating sound. And so there was very few options for them to be able to award someone for best sound and it has to do with people's lack of understanding of what sound is uh and it actually i have uh for the last few years i have been working on this workshop that i do to help people understand what sound design is mm-hmm. do you want to give like the the elevator pitch on that what, what it is that you feel like they're not fully understanding uh, I, I think it's what we've already been talking about, the mm-hmm. assumption of it being very technical okay. and a lack of understanding of the artistic. Okay, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we, let's apply this some to the podcasting stuff. Absolutely. So what happens, you know, like for me at all, for my end, obviously, it, this advanced work that you do looks like magic. I hand you the files and back comes a podcast. Sure. So what happens after I put the the podcast into the machine, (laughs) put my side of it into the machine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So there's a lot that goes into how we sort of get everything before you send it to me. Right. You know, you Mm -hmm. and I've talked a bit about the microphones, where the microphones go um, and the type of recording that you do, um, which is actually very important. And it's something people overlook a lot. Um, Not to go too deep into this, but no, that's good. You're right. We should we should start at the actual beginning, which is before before I even talk into the microphone. What happens? Yeah. Uh, So in digital audio, it's it's similar to like imagine an image, right? Uh, If you are you know standing in a field looking with your eyes, you're getting the pure sight of what you're seeing. If you take a snapshot of it with like a Polaroid picture or whatever. it becomes digitized in some way, assuming not analog uh, imaging, right? Uh, and even film is, all it is is it's a bunch of pictures shown quickly together, usually 24 of them in succession per second. Uh, but, you know, when it gets digitized, things become pixelated, right? So a really mm-hmm. poor quality camera, you can tell because it's very pixelated. Mm-hmm. Some Same thing happens in sound where if you don't record at a high enough sample rate, uh, it can 
have all these other problems. So I, I talked to you very early on about what sample rate I wanted you to record at, what bit rate I wanted you to record at to get it as clean of a recording as possible uh, before you send it to me. Right. And from what I understand, right, from my noob side of things, mm -hmm. it's not just like you don't want me like slobbering all up on the microphone and stuff, <laughs> but it's also the like you can't make something that isn't already there. Like if you if you hand somebody a picture and there just isn't enough information, no amount of work on the back end is going to bring that information into the picture. Uh, so you can. Oh, there, yeah. there are there are uh, um, techniques to do that, but mm -hmm. it is. Think of it like this. Think of it like a glass of water, right? Mm -hmm. it, what I'm doing is you're giving me a glass of water and I'm applying food coloring and I'm taking some of the water out, putting some of the water in, changing the container. And then what I give to everyone else is hopefully some sort of interesting cocktail. Uh, if the water you give me is unpure, I have to do a lot of work to try to make it as pure as possible before I do all of the coloring, mm -hmm. right? And, and so if I can get you to make that water as pure as possible before it comes to me, it makes my part of the job easier in terms of artistically being able to achieve what I want. How does the room noise stuff fit into this? Because you never like told me to do anything with regard to that, but I've heard other people talk about it sometimes. Yeah, I, I actually do a lot to repair the noise. So when once we've recorded both of ours, uh, something I do a lot, and I'm going to intentionally not edit this pod. I, I'm actually going to do this. I'm going to release this podcast twice, one without any of the processing I do and one with all of the processing I do. So people cool. can sort of listen to both. And one of them is going to have a lot of pauses because I pause so fucking much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's mostly because I'm trying to find the right word. Uh, so in, in the in in the real world, you and I don't actually move at the same speed, and you make it sound like we're moving at the same yes. speed. Yes, but in terms of quality, uh, I I smack my lips a lot. I do like a <coughs> before I talk a lot, which is super annoying to me. So I do a lot of things to clean that up. There's background noise, right? Jackhammers over in New York on your side, and <laughs> yeah, things of that such. Uh, so I do a lot in order to reduce the noise of it. Uh, in order to get it as clean as possible. Uh-huh. So what is, I mean, like, is that just running it through certain programs? Is it? Yeah, I use this program made by Isotope called RX, which mm -hmm. is a suite of denoising things. It has a mouth de-click, which it does the getting rid of the lip smacking. It has a couple of other things I don't use. It has like a de-wind. It has a, um, a de-clothing. Like it's made a lot for, uh, it's used a lot for film. Oh, um, and then I do a vocal isolation. So it, 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 it's this one plugin that is really good at identifying human voice and getting rid of anything that's not human voice. And what is that pro? I mean, people, I think people underestimate sometimes what these programs cost. What does that one run oh. you? Uh, RX costs 600 bucks. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, the, the amount of software in terms of what I'm using just for this, including my microphone, including the software, all of the software that I use, it's close to ten grand. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily a, a low key um, Patreon pledge or anything, or uh, dig right. there or anything, right? We're just he uses a lot of this stuff for his real world work as well, anyway. So right, uh, but yeah, that's that's what it that's what you're using in order to get this very very nice apparently sound quality. Yeah, as best I can, even though sometimes I still mess up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so is there any other, like, what do you do? Like, do you balance uh, levels as well? Like, do yeah. you have to take the the nasally, Jewy part of my voice <laughs> down a couple notches? Okay, do I have your permission to make a Jew joke Yeah, right you, do. you do. I, I do have this D-Jew <laughs> plug-in that, no, I'm kidding. Um, so dynamics is a big thing. It It's it's actually, I, I wrote uh, Thomas a message actually just before we started recording this that in opening arguments I've been noticing a lot more dynamics to Andrew's voice making it hard to understand. Uh, I, I don't want to quote him on what he said back because that I don't think it would be appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, uh, one of the things that happens a lot is people aren't consistent in terms of the distance between their self and their microphone and the way that people talk naturally, they, they are not dynamically, you know, monotone. Not actually monotone, but dynamically monotone. Mm -hmm. um, what does that mean, sorry? And what I mean is like, uh, I might talk loud and then I might talk soft and I might talk mm -hmm. loud, right? So I my voice itself will fluctuate in volume and my position will move around, right? I, as I move back and forth from the mic, that all changes how loud it gets to the microphone itself. And so... There's this plugin, a uh, type of plugin that's called a compressor, right? And please mm -hmm. insert all of the Star Wars bypassing the compressor jokes here. Yeah, um, we're getting real technical now. Yeah, uh, what a compressor does is it looks at an input and then gives you an output, right? Imagine uh, I gave you, I don't know, ten stones, right? I handed you ten stones, uh, and you were a compressor. Uh, I would give you those 10 stones and then you would give those 10 stones to someone else, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine that there is some threshold, let's say f five stones, right? If anything beyond five stones, you have to do something different, right? I give you four stones, you give someone else four stones. I give you five stones, you give five stones to someone else. Let's say I give you seven stones, you give six stones, right? You are reducing the output by a ratio, yeah, I may be a little two stones for this. <laughs> um, I'm trying to follow the numbers. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all a compressor does is it limits the output on a ratio, by ratio after a certain threshold. Mm -hmm. And so by doing that, it can reduce things being very dynamic. Uh, and what a lot of podcasters do is they may add just a single compressor to each of the input tracks and then send that out. I actually do two compressors for each input, and then on the master output, I do two compressors and a limiter, and a limiter is sort of a special type of compressor. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing a hell of a lot of compression to make things dynamically sound very flat, because a lot of times people listen to podcasts with earbuds walking down the street or something like that. So there's too much dynamic fluctuation. It becomes hard for people to understand what's being said. They have to turn their volume up and down constantly. Yeah, I that could that. be that could be difficult. Interesting. Um, how long does all of this like processing stuff take you? Um, well, when we first started, I spent the first ten episodes or so fine tuning and finding the sound that we wanted. Right, Art, purely artistic. Like, what is it? What type of thing we want to do? If you listen to some of our first couple of episodes, I did things like panning, where I panned our voices just slightly. Mm -hmm. I wound up not liking that too much uh, because. When one of us would talk for too long, it 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 felt too heavy in one ear or another ear, so I stopped doing that. Um, uh, I was trying to figure out how loud I wanted things to sound, so I would listen to our podcast, 
I would listen to some other podcasts that I liked, listen to ours, and I'd listen to a different one, and I would compare the loudnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so about after 10 episodes or so, I really was able to find the exactly what we wanted. And so I have a template that has most of that. When, once you got a new microphone, I had to change some of your settings a bit. Once mm-hmm. I got a new microphone, I had to change some of mine a bit. Um, but most of the input and output processing is pretty static at this point, and I'm only making really minor changes. Does it make a substantial difference when we bring in a third person? Um, <laughs> he a, said inquisitively. A little bit, yeah. Um, you know, when we bring in a new person, I have to figure out what their processing is um, right at the bat. Um, and then I may have to tweak some of the output stuff in order to accomplish what we want artistically. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, There's, in, in the mixing world, there's something called the loudness wars. And this is purely a philosophical, this falls into our... our thing heavily um the loudness wars is this there's a divide philosophically of how loud things should be what i mean what i mean by that is all right we have to go a little bit into some maths so so (laughs) bear with me i'm here i'm I'm with you bear with me um i I, i've tried to take your advice in in something you said a while ago like if you can't say something like if you what, it, what was it? If you can't say something well, say it complicated. If you can't say something right, say it complicated. Say right, right, right. So I'm going to try to say this as uncomplicated as possible. Uh-huh. Um, imagine a sine wave, right? Go back to your days of taking trigonometry, right? Okay. Let's say the peak, right, the top of that sine wave is at 1, right? And the, and the bottom trough is at negative 1, right? So imagine that pure sine wave, right? So you would say that that sine wave it's as loud as a value of one. The, okay. the average energy though, right? If, if, the, if the peak energy is one, right? But the average, the mean would actually be 0. 0.707. Right, if you were okay. to take the root mean square, which, yeah. you, which is an averaging of that whole thing, of every single point, and added mm-hmm. it together, you would get a value of 0. 0.707. And that's actually how we hear. We d- we don't perceive peak levels. We hear RMS levels. Okay. With me? With me? Okay. Yeah. So we, our system isn't set up to take in the full range of that curve. It it caps out around the mean. Well, it's it's more about like. You know, let's go back to that film analogy, right? If there mm-hmm. are 24 frames, you don't see 24 images. You see a moving image, mm-hmm. right? And it's because your brain can only pro- can process things so quickly. And if you show 24 frames a second or more, then you perceive it to be motion, okay. right? So in, in a similar way, right, you don't hear every value. You hear an average of them over a period of time. Okay, that makes sense. So... One of the things that compression and limiting can do is they can keep the peak the same, but increase the RMS value. So what I'm saying is that you can make something perceived to be louder, even though it's not actually louder. Interesting. Without losing quality? Uh, Does it affect the quality? It can, if you go too much. Uh-huh. And this is this is the exact thing about the loudness wars, right? One side says we should make things as loud as fucking possible. <laughs> RMS and the the difference between RMS and peak should be minuscule. And then there are uh, the other side that say 
that destroys artistically what sound can do. And by, by squashing things, that's the vernacular, uh, by adding too much compression, by squashing things so much, you lose so much dynamics that it, it artistically degrades the value of the art. So that's the philosophical war uh, for the loudness wars. Some people say, make it as loud as fucking possible. And some people say, by making it too loud, you are, you are losing an, an important artistic. Am I right to guess parameter. that you are on the second team? I Honestly, I think it depends. Okay. Uh, I, I am in this third, even smaller minority that says sometimes things should be super, super fucking loud. And sometimes they shouldn't be. Um, I... Here, here's an example, right? If, if someone wants to hear an example, I rewatched some of the Star Wars movies, like the original 10. Uh, yeah, super geek. Uh, and in in a uh, movie, what was it? Seven, eight, nine, and 10, which are the ones with the next generation cast. Uh, the dynamics of the really quiet whispering to the super loud explosions with music is fucking way too drastic. It's so drastic that I'm watching this film and having to turn it up and turn it down constantly. Right. Yeah, that balancing thing is the worst when that happens. Yeah. And, but if, if someone wants to hear one of the best mixed films I have ever heard in my life, it would be Birdman or Whiplash. Oh, sure. Yeah. I and actually, Birdman. Birdman almost won best sound in film, and it only lost to Whiplash because they both came out the same year. And they sound fucking incredible. Interesting. So in terms of podcasting, when I listen to The Daily, right, which is mm -hmm. the New York Times, their output RMS, right, their average output level is actually quieter than most podcasts. Uh, at least most of the ones that I've listened to. Yeah, that sounds right. Right. And so ours is on par with, I think, most of the others in terms of loudness, where it's not so loud that it's that it's clipping like crazy. Like I think the Cogdis guys, they joke a lot about this one um, Christian podcast that has a lot of distortion in it because they compress it and make it so fucking loud that it's squashed, mm -hmm. uh, which always made me laugh. Nice. So I try to err on the side of an average loudness that most people would be used to listening to most podcasts so that when they go from one podcast to another, they're not having to adjust the volume on their devices yeah so what sort of advice would you give for someone who doesn't have 10 grand to drop on a system who wants to do a casual podcast and who wants it to not sound like too much but yeah if you want to reduce the suck that's what we call it right um uh, the, down the suck at, knob a little at, bit i don't know if you ever knew this but over at bucks rock right the camp yep. that we worked at in the recording studio there they have the master bus on the mixer called labeled as suck <laughs> which is a common thing, but, you know, you could turn the suck down by turning the whole volume down. Anyway, um, you have your Kant jokes. I have my mixing jokes. I get it. I get it. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sorry. What was your question again? So the question was advice for... Oh, right, right, uh, right, right. Reducing the butt. Uh, and also, I think, you know, advice that makes it easier to do the sorts of things you're describing for someone who doesn't have as much expertise. Absolutely. The first thing to do is listen to some podcasts and listen to a podcast you like, right? Like whatever that is, the daily or, or whatever. And listen to it on multiple different speakers. Listen to it on some crappy 
headphones. Listen to them on some computer speakers. Listen to them in your car, right? Try to listen to the same podcast, the same episode in different listening devices, right? Do that first because then you'll know the content and you'll just be hopefully noticing the differences between them. Uh, okay. Once you've done that, what you'll want to do is when you try to mix your first one, you're going to try to make it sound as close to that one as possible. And so you're doing this sort of comparative listening, right? Listen to, to that one episode you really liked and then listen to yours and listen to them back to back, right? Listen, put on those crappy headphones, listen to that other podcast and listen to yours, then go back to theirs. And there'll be things that you're missing and won't be able to do, but I think that's the foundation of all of this is, is improving your ability to listen Mm -hmm. uh, and do what's called active listening, where you're sitting down and, and the only task you're doing is listening, right? You, so we've sort of talked about meditation where you focus on the breath. Mm -hmm. With this, it's focusing on the listening, right? So many of us do passive listening when we listen to podcasts and things like that, where you know we're driving to work and we're listening to a podcast, or we're working on homework and we're listening to a podcast or music or something like that. Make it your primary activity. Do no other thing except sitting there and listening to the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, that's sort of step one. Mm -hmm. uh, everything after that, like, you know, most of my expensive stuff can be achieved with free things. There are a million free plugins out there. There are a million of free, um, what are called uh, DAWs, digital audio workstations. Uh, a lot of people use in, po in the podcast world use Audacity because it's free. Uh, I'm very against Audacity for podcasting because... Uh, it's very difficult to do basic things in there because it doesn't do what most other DAWs do in terms of multi-track recording. Uh, I would recommend people use Reaper, and I'll put that in the show notes, a link to it, which you can use for free, um, or you can pay $60 to sort of remove this evaluation window that always pops up. Um, it's what we use to record, um, and it's one of the many DAWs I use. Um, So, okay, good. So that helps with that. And in terms of like microphone setups, what do you feel like are sort of the, the basic needs kind of situation? You can get away with a $20 microphone and, and do just fine. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not going to be on par with the higher end podcasts. But if, if you're looking to just start, um, you don't need the super fancy microphone uh, uh, to make it happen. Um, it's more about mic positioning, understanding how the microphone picks up sound. And so like, if you pick up some $20 microphone, experiment, right? Like place it in one position and count to 10 and then place it in a different position and count to 10, place it in a different position, count to 10, and then listen to each one of those and notice the quality difference between them. And that'll help you figure out the position that you put your microphone on. That makes sense. I never do a lot of stuff like that. I like the same thing even with my car. Like I just got the new car and I don't, I don't like do a lot of the like reading through for the little bits and stuff. I just like get what I need out of it functionally and kind of keep rolling. Yeah. It's interesting though. Um, cool. Yeah, I, I, I actually spent, so I've been doing sound for 18 years in one form or another. And I have actually have a master's degree in sound design. Uh, and since I finished grad school, which was back in 2010, 
I, I still am learning new things. Like I spent two years teaching myself compression and how to hear compression, which is actually really, really difficult mm-hmm. um, to be able to hear dynamics uh, at, at, a, at the level of mixing engineers. It was incredibly difficult because it's, it's not something that we're used to listening to. Interesting. Um, and so I, I practice this stuff constantly. I, I teach myself new things. I try out new plugins I've never tried before um, and all of that sort of thing. I, I read articles constantly about mixing. Like I could talk for hours about K-system metering. Oh, what is K-System metering? Oh, God, dude. Like, you don't even... Uh, I, th- that's going to get super in the weeds. I mean, I don't know if you want me to, but I mean, I'm, I'm happy I'm just to. curious to see what it sounds like, if, it's, if it sounds as ridiculous as the papers I read in philosophy or not. So, Okay. Um, uh, what's uh, Give me a moment to... I can't remember the guy's last name. Um, yeah, no Luckily, you can edit this as you like. I can. I might not edit this out, though, so okay. people will know. It'd be pretty funny. Um... Where are you, article? Got to listen to all the versions of every episode. It wasn't there. It is system metering. Bob Katz. All right. So there's this um, well-known uh, film mixer and editor named Bob Katz, and he developed this new type of metering. So sound is measured on a scale. The unit of measure is called uh, decibels or dv uh it's a logarithmic scale uh what that means is like when let's say you have that cup of water right and if you were to take half of it away you would have half remaining right and let's say that it's i don't know 10 ounces if you took half away you would have five ounces right that would be a linear scale db is logarithmic so half is always negative six uh Okay. So, so the reason why that's important is the way that meters work is they will really crappy meters, which most DAWs have. What do you uh, mean we'll by just, a meter? Sorry. Oh, oh, yeah. A meter is so when you're talking in your microphone, if you look at your uh, a Reaper now, that little volume bar that's popping up and down, uh huh, that's a meter. Okay, I see. That it is showing you probably peak right at at some interval. Uh, it tells me when I'm getting over over the top and I need to chill out a little bit is what it tells me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's super imprecise, but it's just it's good enough in terms of figuring out peaks. Well, there's a bunch of other problems with it. And one of the biggest problems is that it doesn't tell you anything about how loud it is. Mm-hmm. Right? It is not doing fuck all in terms of telling you how loud is that going to be for someone listening. So Bob created the system where... 0 dB would be a specific unit of measure in terms of loudness. That loudness unit of measure is called a uh, sound pressure level, right? So dB is a relative uh, um, system that is, uh, it's relative like percent, right? So if I said 10%, it's like 10% of what? That doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Or if I say 10% of a dollar, you know what that means. Right. Mm-hmm. If I say six dB, that doesn't mean anything. If I si- say six dB SPL. That's an exact measurement. It's it's a physical physics measurement. So zero dB on your meter will equal to eighty-seven dB SPL from one foot away from your listening device. Okay. 
right? So mm -hmm. what that means is that you can calibrate your speakers to be zero dB on the case system meter to be 87 dB SPL. And then using that, yeah, 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 we're going into it. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Uh, it's going way over, right? Using that, there are then these three different meters. There's K12, K14, and K20, and it dictates how much headroom you use. Mm -hmm. So film will use K20 because you'll want more headroom for explosions and shit. Headroom is space headroom. on top of things? Yeah, exactly. The distance between where you are and where you could go. I see. Um, so small amount of headroom means you can't go very far. You can't be much louder. A lot of headroom means you could you could go a lot louder. Uh, and so K12 is meant for like broadcasting. K14 is meant for mostly music. And then K20 is meant for film. Mm -hmm. So it dictates a new standard in a way, but not actually. Uh, and sets three different ways of using them. I, I use K-System meters in our podcast in order to find out that that's that the average loudness of you and I talking is at that zero dB with a K14 system. Okay. So it allows things to, going back to the whole loudness wars conversation, allows things to not sound squashed mm -hmm. and allows things to be have some fluidity in its dynamics. But it also allows me to go, all right, at zero dB, it, the average level should be at that zero dB in that K system meter. And I know how loud that's going to be to most people listening. Cool. <laughs> I can send you the article. No, it's great. I mean, the upshot is that I don't have to worry too much because I get very anxious about being loud in people's speakers. Nope. And that's and and that's purely an artistic thing, right? Going back to what we alluded to at the beginning is right. artistically, like sort of going to the fundamentals of what artistic means, right? You're trying to convey some sort of message. You're trying to communicate in some emotional way, right? You're trying to evoke some sort of emotional response. If I don't want people to emotionally feel pain, disgust, right? Like confusion, I do that by trying to give them this artistic package that is within their expectations. Mm-hmm. And I do that by using these things, which are super technical, like a case system meter, in order to achieve that. That makes sense. Do you have to, um, you mentioned some of the things that you have to weed out on your side. What is it on my side? Do you get the squeaky desk chair? Uh, not really. For the most part, you're pretty consistent and uh, don't have a lot of things I have to cut out. You know, some of the times... Uh, one of us says something and we both sort of think about it for a moment. And so I'll cut out the air there a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things you do is you go, um, so um, you do a, a double um with a so in the middle. Okay. So sometimes I'll cut out that first um or the or, or up to the so depending on, on. And this is actually, I'm going to sidebar a little bit. Yeah. This is a good point, which is just the real basic editing, which is cutting out parts or, or not cutting out parts. When I first started doing audio editing, I had to do it all by ear. I didn't have any visual interface. And one of the things that I do when I edit is I listen to it in terms of flow of language, mm -hmm. right? I could easily cut out a lot of the, the sort of air in between, but if I cut out too much of it, it starts to sound artificial. 
mm-hmm. and like announcery, right? If you think if you hear some sort of announcement over a, a PA system, like at a train station or something like that, um, or like some sort of advertisement, um, you'll notice that they don't breathe, and it's because they cut out so much of the air because they have to because they have to make things as short as possible. Sure. But sometimes having that air is useful because it allows an audience member. And this is my artistic opinion. It allows the audience to sort of feel that it's all being said naturally. Um, you know, Misha, one of our friends who was actually on one of our podcasts a long time ago, uh, for the stuff he does, it's very story based. And so he does a uh, lot they, more I think. editing in terms of getting rid of those airs in between. Because, you know, if you think of like listening to an audiobook, you won't hear the person do what I just did, which is like, I took a breath in. Not that you heard the breath, but it'll, it, there was a small pause of me breathing in to get ready for this longer thing I was about to say. Mm-hmm. But so I'll leave those things in, or I may, I may have to cut like a phrase out. Like, you know, sometimes we say something and we go, mm, let me say that again. So mm-hmm. I have to cut that part out, but I don't want to lose the sort of setup, the natural human thing that we do when we are conversing. That makes sense. Speaking of natural human things, I think, um, Misha uh, prefers they. Oh, the, oh. that's okay. Thank no you. big deal. I didn't know um, that. Yeah, and Misha does podcasting as well and does some some really interesting design stuff over there. Um, and we haven't even talked too much about like your the sort of the design that isn't the cleaning up uh, of the our you know our words and stuff, but also like the intro music and when you sometimes put stuff over the invocations. Yeah. Um, the the music I composed, you know, back when we first started, because um, uh, when I work in theater, I do a lot of composing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in terms of the invocations, sometimes it's a matter of time, uh, but and sometimes it's I just get a random bit of inspiration and something sort of speaks to me. Uh, the the invocation f- for uh, this is America that I did, I actually spent way more time on that. Then uh, it took me to actually edit the whole podcast. That makes sense. Uh, because I, I was listening to This Is America on repeat and trying to simulate the sound as close as possible. Um, and then and then trying to do something, making it sound a little different. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, in, in some of them, like on one of our early, early ones the sound that I used, the underscoring, which was really eerie, was actually a ice-breaking ship breaking through the Antarctic ice. Oh, cool. Is that maybe the um, Shagath one or something like that? Yeah. I don't I don't remember which one it was. but That's cool. It's always uh, fun when the effect is achieved by something that no one would expect or realize that conveys the right feeling to human beings but isn't the actual thing. Yeah, when... when uh, when I do those workshops where I teach people about sound design, the, I always end with, and anytime I do like a quick lecture on sound design, I say the same thing, which is everything I'm saying could be complete bullshit. And so I challenge you to watch a scary film on mute and tell me if it's scary. Mm-hmm. And I promise you that it's not. It's because so much sound is so subconscious to us because it's the second sense tied to memory. There are so many things that we understand about what's happening in the current moment about the world around us based on how we're perceiving things sonically right that we don't realize how much information we're getting from the sonic world 
and you know things like you know apprehension and, and things like joy and all of those sort of things are interwoven with how we experience that. I notice it a lot these days. I'm a lot more sensitive to music and the effects of music than I used to be, I feel like. So I'll like be watching a movie like Infinity Wars, for example, where I'm not mm-hmm. feeling anything, but then the music kicks in and you're like, all right, fine. I feel, I feel a little bit, you know, I feel right. the thing. It reminds me right. of uh, John Oliver's bit. Do you remember us uh, hear his stand up on this? John Oliver once did a great bit about how you can evoke emotions in anyone by just taking anything and playing a power ballad over it. Yeah. And he gave yeah. an example with George Bush doing a speech. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I've seen a lot of people do stuff like that, but yeah. it's, it's pretty hilarious. Same, um, same basic idea, I suppose. No, absolutely. So um, before we wrap this, do you have any final thoughts, advice, suggestions? Um. I guess I guess I think the only thing would be try to either, you know, go see a film or something, you know, listen, something that involves listening of any kind, a concert or whatever, and just try to take a moment to have a have an awareness as to how sound is affecting you in the current moment. Mm-hmm. Um I think even in even in the industries where sound is super important, like in in film, for example, uh, film is oftentimes the last thing that you that is that is considered, uh, and even people within the world of film don't realize the power of sound. Um, I invite people to check out things like Dunkirk, which is actually one of the best scores I've ever heard. Hmm. He, he does this thing called a shepherd tone. Uh, which he actually Hans Zimmer does in a lot of his stuff, but Shepard tones, I'm, I'm, I, I can't even tell you how exciting they make me. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think try to take a moment to really notice what what sound is doing for you and affecting you, uh, and it is surprising how much how much we gleam from our sonic environment uh, that we are not aware of. Is there? Anything that, like, you feel like early starting out designers worry about or think they need to worry about that they don't actually need to worry about quite so much that you would say, you know, don't focus, don't fixate on this thing too much, do this other thing instead? I feel like that's always a common experience in any field. Yeah, the thing that most people do that they need to not do, which is they rely on their eyes too much while editing. Uh, You know, I've trained a lot of. Uh, students and I tell them it's something I I still do to this day is I will close my eyes while I'm listening for something right Mm -hmm. don't look at your DAW for a moment don't look at the plugin you're trying to to adjust close your eyes or look away for a moment and really focus on what it is you're hearing Uh, objective hearing is one of the hardest things to do it is it is taking me years to develop that and it's something I actually continuously practice um it's one of those things where if you know you don't use it, you lose it, kind of a thing. And in, in order to really know how, in order to really know how the things you're doing are actually affecting the sound, you have to concentrate quite heavily, and it's actually quite fatiguing as well. Mm-hmm. 
that objective listening thing would be a good uh, additional episode we should do sometime. I'm curious about that because I feel like it's not like fully objective because you're still you're thinking about objectively how it sounds to other people, right? So it's yeah, like a, yeah. I I guess I'm using to quantify the terms objective and subjective within this context. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think subjective is. Uh, our ears do something called, uh, like our ears actually compress, not, not in terms of mm-hmm. the word I used before, but they actually will uh, reduce their dynamic range, uh, which actually affects which frequencies you can or cannot hear. Uh, there's also things like your brain is really good at if you hear something once, if you hear it again, it knows what it's going to hear. And it's how like you can hear a song you know really well in a really crappy setting or maybe you only hear blurbs of it and your brain will put it in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fighting that subjectivity of perception to get an objective view, and by objective now I'm saying that you're physiologically and you're psychologically not being affected by what it is you're hearing. That's what I mean by, by objective and subjective. Okay, so lightning round objectively yeah. is it yanni or the other thing uh, uh, objectively it's both objectively it's both okay fair enough Ob- objectively it's both so it's a super super positioning schrodinger's sound effect yeah well and and you can subjectively choose to hear one or the other right okay so it's a lot like the um it is really a lot like the visual ones like rabbit duck where they're both it's both and you can, depending on what you, what parts you focus on, you can see one or the other. That's a perfect analogy. Okay. I did a thing. Am I pretty? You did it. You're so pretty right now. Awesome. Can't even. Shall we hero? We shall hero. Is that what you think you are? A hero? Saved the world, didn't I? Once. Talk to me after you've done it a couple more times. Uh, so, this week's hero uh, was a favorite of mine that was sent along which is a fishmonger who released a 70-pound octopus back into the ocean. He purchased this octopus just for the purposes of releasing it back into the ocean. And this this story has so many positive feels in it for me, I just can't even. I I guess not, either, neither of us can even at the moment. No, I believe the octopus is the only one who can even because he's got the eight tentacles, right? <laughs> that is true. Um one of the things I thought was hilarious how he talks about how he, um, oh, I gotta find the spot because I want to quote it appropriately. Uh-huh. Um, where are you? Why don't I search? Um, so he told the Tribune that even though he makes his living selling fish, he be, he's become more conflicted. Oh my god, I can't talk right now. It's okay. He's become more conflicted about octopus over the last 10 years or so, especially after receiving a a diving expedition in which he, quote, played a game of hide-and-seek for 15 minutes, end end quote, with a playful cephalopod. That is awesome. Yeah, that was the part that got me. Like, I was already deep into the fields finding out that he had, like, taken 70 pounds worth of delicious octopus, I'm sure it is very delicious, and chosen instead to let it stay alive as this beautiful living creature and then you find out that he's been going through this 10-year transformation after the time he played hide and seek with an, a cephalopod 
that is my new number one life goal, right? Like amongst to play hide and seek with an octopus. Previously, it was to help people understand philosophy. Now that has taken a backseat to getting to play hide and seek with a cephalopod. <laughs> I've only done a little bit of scuba diving, not a little bit of like a snorkeling. I haven't done scuba diving, so like it's going to take a little while, but I'm going to get there. I couldn't do either of those things. I am deathly afraid of the ocean for like oh, yeah. no no actual reason. Oh, other I'm than deeply, it just deeply afraid of the ocean. But I will do it to find my friend cephalopod so that we can play hide and seek. Yeah, just walk that, watch out. You might run into a leviathan. I think this is a really <laughs> wonderful story for us because it like, you know. Even though it's on Fox we, News. What? Even though it's on Fox News, right? Yeah. Just like the, you know, we've had questions before about the boundary of personhood and like, is there a difference between a cephalopod and a fish? Like, is it is it rational or moral to run a fish shop but say I'm, I'm going to draw the line at cephalopods? And I think there's a case to be made because I do think that from what we understand, the, the complexity of the inner world of a cephalopod seems markedly more advanced than, um, than that of a fish. Yeah. Wanna, there's there's still, there's still a-, a super voidy perspective of... It is, how do I want to say this? It is super voidy how all life requires other life in order to survive. And by that, I mean, it. all life requires the consumption of other life in order to survive, mm-hmm. which is so fucking voidy. It's, it's ridiculous to me. Yeah. And of course, we've got our requisite tentacles. So that adds to the voidiness of all of this. This is true. Um, he, he dropped a couple hundred bucks for this animal's freedom, which is pretty yeah, amazing. Just so he could release it, yeah. Yeah. Yep, and he got lots of positive support for it. It's super great. Yeah, And, and what's nice is, like, he didn't try to make this a deal. He was just going to go do it, and a friend of his snapped a picture and put it on Facebook. So, like, he wasn't trying to become famous or anything. Like, this wasn't virtue signaling in any way. He was just going to do this on his own. Mm-hmm. And someone else saw what he was doing, a friend of his, and took a picture, and, and that's how we now know about it. Right. This, the, the only sad part of this story is um, that he's a follower of Gwyneth Paltrow, and that he sort of is in part being driven by her pseudoscientific nonsense. Um, but we'll set that aside, right? We'll say that even even bad things can have good outcomes. <laughs> it's true. This right? Is the true true. The true true. All right, well, here's to you, octopus guy. Way to, way to keep a little bit of amazing mystery and beauty in the world. And I hope after, you get to go to octopus heaven afterwards. After you said, here's to you, octopus guy, I, I, in my head I was like, real men of genius. Exactly. Right. Oct- Why is octopus guy not a superhero, by the way? I feel like someone should get on that. I mean, it's basically Aqu- Aquaman, right? Yeah, but if he had tentacles, he'd be Maybe cooler, Doc Ock. Right? It's kind of a villain. I would say that Aquaman needs tentacles. I think that, that would be a vast improvement. Mm. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us, and we will catch you all next week. We would like to thank our top patrons. Jesse Rubinowitz, Dave Maslick, Abe, Corey Johnston, host of the Brainstorm podcast on the Hardcore Skeptic, CampQuestor.org, CampQuestor.org, CampQuestor.org. Mr. Nobody, and Chad Trait. If you would like to become a patron, find us at patreon.com slash embrace the void. As always, remember, you are the void, and the void is you. Mm-hmm.